I want to say a few words about Pesach Sheni. Today is Pesach Sheni. Today is the 14th of Iyar. Uh, an interesting little question. I don't have a good terrace to this. This is actually a good question. What, what is Pesach Sheni? So Pesach Sheni in the Torah is that when they had to bring the Korban Pesach on the 14th of Nisan, there were people who were Tameh. And they were not able to bring. You cannot bring the Korban Pesach when you're Tameh. Now, I'm sure you went over this. Who were these people and why were they Tameh? Right? Why, why did they happen to be Tameh? So there's actually a machlokas in the Gemara. Who were the people that were Tameh and why? According to one opinion, the people that were Tameh were the people whose turn it was to carry Yosef's bones. And those Yosef's bones were carried throughout the desert and there was a rotation of people. So Nebuch, the people whose turn it happened to be, they were Tameh, right? And that's one interpretation. According to the other interpretation in the Gemara, these were people who had to pull out Nadav and Aviyu's bodies from the Mishkan. If you remember, when the Mishkan was dedicated, so Nadav and Aviyu tried to bring incense, not in a proper way, and uh, they died. A fire came from Hashem, and uh, they died in the Mishkan, and uh, Leviim had to come and pull them out, their cousins, actually. So those Leviim became tummy, and they couldn't bring the carbon Pesach. Now, let me ask you a question. This is an interesting question. What, none of the Nebiyu died the day the Mishkan was dedicated. That we know, that's the Chumash says, the day the Mishkan was dedicated was the death of Nadav and Aviyah. What day was the Mishkan dedicated? It was Rosh Chodesh Nisan. That's exactly right. So the question is, if I come in contact with a dead body on Rosh Chodesh Nisan, how many days, we talked about, how many days am I tummy? If I, if I touch a dead body, how many days am I tummy? I'm Tameh seven days. Now today, I can't get out of it because they have to be sprinkled with the ashes of Paraduma. But they had a Paraduma in the desert. So, if none of an Aviyu were the reason why these people became Tameh, why would they have to be Tameh by the time the Korban Pesach comes around? The Korban Pesach is brought the 14th of Nisan. They became Tameh the 1st of Nisan. If they became Tameh the 1st of Nisan, then they could become Tohor by the 7th of Nisan. So that's a whole week before the Korban Pesach, right? So there's a kasha on this. So based on this, the Eben Ezra learns that this Chazal must have said that the Mishkan was not dedicated the 1st of Nisan, rather the seven days of preliminaries. In other words, we say like this, the way we normally say it is, we say there were seven days of preliminary service from the 23rd of Adar till Rosh Chodesh Nisan. And Rosh Chodesh Nisan is the Chanukah Sabayis. That's how we normally understand it. But the Eben Ezra says it must be that according to this Chazal, the seven days of preparation began Rosh Chodesh Nisan and the actual dedication of the Mishkan would be on the 8th of Nisan. So very none of an Aviyu died the 8th of Nisan, not the... First of Nisan. Now, even then, let's think about this. So, if I bury Nadav and Aviyu on the eighth of Nisan, so I am Tommy for seven days. So, eighth of Nisan is day one, nine, ten, 
11th, 12th, 13th, 14th. Now that actually means Erev Pesach is my seventh day. So let me ask you this. If my seventh, a Tomei cannot bring a Korban Pesach. Why can't a Tomei bring a Korban Pesach? Because a Tomei cannot eat the Korban Pesach. But wait a second. What if Erev Pesach, I'm still Tomei. I'm still Tomei. But because it's my seventh day, I'll be able to eat the Korban Pesach at night. So what would you think? Should a person, you understand the question, a person who is Tameh on Erev Pesach, but he will become Tahar by nightfall, one might think you could bring the Korban Pesach because even though you're Tameh now, but you'll be able to eat it at night. You're allowed to have someone pure bring it for you? Yes, right, because remember, when you bring a Korban Pesach, you don't bring the Korban Pesach. I mean, a Kohen brings it. In other words, uh, you, you, you don't even have to be in the base of Mikdash, right? So uh, you stand outside, the Kohen brings it, and at night you'll be able to eat. So in truth, you see from here, and this is Machlokis in the Gemara, the Gemara discusses this, that the reason why a Tameh cannot bring a Korban Pesach is not only because they can't eat it. Because if that would be the question, then on, if day seven is Erev Pesach, it should be good. But rather, there's a special halacha that a Tameh person cannot bring the offering. Okay, so Abidas and Nay, this is the machlokas, why these people were tummy. But whether it was they were carrying the bones of Yosef, or whether it was that they had buried Nadav and Avihu, right, the, the, the different opinion, they couldn't bring the Korban Pesach. So they went to Moshe and they said, Loma Nigara, why should we be worse off than everybody else? Why shouldn't Hashem give us a chance? We want a chance to be able to serve Hashem. Moshe didn't know. And that's what I want to talk about. Moshe didn't know. He asked God, what does God say? If somebody is either Tameh, or when we get to Eretz Yisrael, this is a future reference, far away from Yerushalayim. I mean, that didn't happen in the Midbar. So if you can't bring the Korban Pesach on the 14th of Nisan, you can bring the Korban Pesach one, exactly one month later, and that is called Pesach Sheni. So Pesach Sheni is not for everybody. Pesach Sheni is for those who were Tameh on the first Pesach, or they were Bederech Rechoka, whatever that means, far away from Yerushalayim at the time. Meaning a regular person, well, well, a regular person is not supposed to go to Pesach Sheni. A regular person is supposed to bring it the first time. But Lamaita, I do want to say that Pesach Sheni B'dievet does work for anybody. Meaning even if I'm a perfectly pure person uh, and I just decided to sleep uh, Pesach, I can, Pesach Sheni B'dievet does work for everybody. So it actually is a makeup for everybody, but it was designed only for the Tomei or the Derech Rechoka, yeah. Um, what was the reason why did we say that someone who is tummy cannot bring it? Like, what was the answer to that? No, so we didn't. Uh, we didn't give a, a svara. We we just it's just the gzeira sakasu. The Torah is telling me that it's not just the eating of the pesach which requires that you be pure. Because if that would be the case, if the seventh day is erev pesach, that would be good. 
but rather you have to be in a state of spiritual purity at the time the korban is brought. That's the Chiddush. Okay. Now, here's the interesting question. So today, Pesach Sheni, well, first of all, when, when you had Pesach Sheni, it's an interesting thing. You brought the korban Pesach, you ate matzah, you ate maror, but you're allowed to have chametz in your house, meaning it's not like real, it's not like regular Pesach. And in fact, you can even have chametz at the meal, not with the carbon Pesach, but after you ate your Pesach and matzah, you could have a piece of bread. In other words, there is no iser of chametz on Pesach Sheni, but the carbon was eaten with matzah. Carbon was eaten with matzah. Okay. Now, how do we commemorate Pesach Sheni today? Uh, we don't do too much. Uh, uh, in the davening, we don't say tachanun, which is the, you know, the, you, know you don't say tachanun on happy occasions. This is called the happy occasion. And some people have a minog uh, that they eat matzah on Pesach Sheni. Do you, do you do that? Did you have matzah mm-hmm. for Pesach Sheni? So here is my question. This is a very, it's not my question, but it's a very excellent question. Uh, this is the 14th of Eeyore. This is the day that they slaughtered Pesach Sheni. When would you eat the Pesach Sheni? You didn't eat it today. You would eat the Pesach Sheni tonight. Now, we know on Erev Pesach, you're badafka not allowed to eat matzah. Because you've got to save your appetite for when you eat it for the mitzvah. So the question is, why would there be a minah to eat matzah today? We really ought to eat matzah tonight because tonight is the commemoration of the Korban Pesach. Just like a Seder. Just like we make a Seder. All right, all right, so we're not going to make a whole Seder. Okay, we're not going to do that. But if you're eating matzah, lezecher, to commemorate the matzah of Pesach Sheni, then the proper time to eat matzah would not be today. In fact, we ought to say the opposite. We ought to say, you're not allowed to eat matzah today. Now, I know uh, many Hasidim in particular have a minute they don't eat matzah for a whole month. What is the Chabad minute about not eating matzah uh, in Nisan? A whole month, right? From Purim. Okay, that's a, that's a minute. But according to the halacha, uh, you're allowed to eat matzah until Erev Pesach, but you don't eat matzah on Erev Pesach. That's the Talmud Yushalmi. So it's an interesting question. So Pesach Sheni is like uh, reversed because we bedavke eat matzah on Pesach Sheni, even though it would make more sense to eat matzah tonight and not eat matzah during the day. So I'll throw that as a question. I don't ha- actually don't don't have an answer uh, for that question. Okay. Now let's go back to a more philosophical, general question. That is, if Moshe Rabbeinu got all of the mitzvahs at Harsinai, when Moshe was on Mount Sinai for 40 days, both the first time and the second time, Hashem gave him all of the 613 mitzvahs. That's what we say. Moshe, says in Pirkei Avos, Moshe Kibel Torah Misina. So, doesn't that mean since Pesach Sheni is one of the 613 commandments, didn't Moshe already know about Pesach Sheni? In fact, let's go over four cases. There are four places in the Torah where Moshe didn't know the halacha. Four places where he had to ask Hashem and he didn't know what the din was. Uh, one of them, I'll give you all four. 
One is when the person was gathering wood on Shabbos, Moshe didn't know what the punishment was for a person who violates Shabbos. So he had to ask Hashem, and Hashem said, if a person violates Shabbos on purpose and was warned, the death penalty is stoning. We don't do that today, but, but uh, when there was a Beis HaMikdash, the death penalty is stoning. Moshe didn't know that. He had to get it from Hashem. The second case was uh, the Parsha before last Parsha. The son of the Egyptian man and the Jewish woman, who was Jewish, cursed Hashem, blasphemed Hashem. That's called in Hebrew, Megadev. Megadev is blasphemy. And Moshe did not know what the halacha was. So Hashem said, if you're Megadev, also you get skila, a death penalty. So he was stoned, right? So the first is Makoshesh, the wood gatherer. The second is Megadev, the blasphemer. The third is Pesach Sheni, the people who were Tomei. They wanted a second chance. Moshe didn't know the halacha. He had to go to Hashem, and Hashem had to tell him they could bring it a month later. And the fourth is at the end of Bamidbor, the daughters of Tzlavchad. Tzlavchad was a man who died in the desert. Tzlavchad did not have any sons. Uh, and uh, the, his brothers claimed that they should inherit his portion of land. They'll get inherit Israel because they said, if there's a son, a son inherits. If there's no sons, even if there's daughters, it should go to the brothers. That's what they said. The daughters argued, if there are no sons, daughters should inherit. Moshe didn't know the halacha. So he asks Hashem again, and Hashem says that if there are no sons, daughters do inherit property. If there are sons, the sons get it, and they have to support the daughter, their sisters. But if there are no sons, the daughters inherit all of the property. So these are the four cases where Moshe Rabbeinu did not know the halacha, and he had to ask Hashem, Right, the Makoshesh, the Megadev, Pesach Sheni, and Benos Salavchat. So we can ask one a central question on all of these things. How could Moshe Rabbeinu's knowledge be incomplete? If Hashem gave him the whole Torah on Har Sinai, now that doesn't mean the stories, by the way, that doesn't mean Moshe was told about the Meraglim before it happened. And when it says Moshe got the Torah on Sinai, that doesn't mean the narrative part of the Torah. That was revealed as it happened. That's, this is an important point. But it does mean Hashem gave Moshe the commandments of the Torah. So that includes a Mechal Shabbos gets stoning. That includes a Megadev gets stoning. That includes Pesach Sheni for people who were Tameh. And that includes the rights of daughters to inherit. So how could Moshe Rabbeinu not know the halacha when these things come up? Did he forget? So there are different mahalchim, different approaches here. There are some midrashim that indeed talk about Moshe Rabbeinu forgetting. And they point out at various points, Moshe got angry and Chazal say when a person has anger at something, uh, his chachma can leave him. So the various midrashim want to point out that perhaps at different points Moshe had anger, Memela, because of that, 
his chachma left him. That's a very important rule. Kol koes, when people have anger, chachmaso mistalekes mimenu, the wisdom can go away from a person. Even with Moshe Rabbeinu, such a thing happens. But the Chazon Ish gives a different explanation, which is really very, very interesting explanation. And he says the following. What do we mean when we say Moshe got all the mitzvot spesinai? Because you really have a problem. Because when you read the Torah, you clearly see different mitzvot are given at different times. This happened, this happened. In fact, the mitzvot are given over four, a 40-year period. So what do you mean it's all from Harsinai? The answer is, we have to differentiate between when did Hashem tell Moshe and when was Moshe given permission to tell B'nai Yisrael. Moshe got all of the 613 mitzvahs at Harsinai. But Hashem commanded him to reveal them to B'nai Yisrael at different points. Now, why that's so, each mitzvah would depend. But that's the meaning of the ubiquitous phrase, right? One of the most common phrases in the Torah, maybe the most common phrase is, Vayadaber Hashem el Moshe Lamar. Hashem speaks to Moshe, or spoke to Moshe. So in English, they just say Lamar is saying, which extra words. But Lamar actually means to say to somebody else. Hashem says to Moshe, now I am commanding you, Lamor, to take what I told you and give it over. A very big yisod. So the Jewish people did not get the whole Torah at Harsinai. The Jewish people got the Torah in dribs and drabs over a 40-year period. In fact, the Sefer Torah was not completely written until the day of Moshe Rabbeinu's death. On the day of his death, Moshe Rabbeinu wrote 13 Sifrei Torah. Why 13? One Sefer Torah was put in the Oren HaKodesh with the Luchos, and the other Sifrei Torah was given one to each tribe. Now, you may ask, Moshe Rabbeinu wrote 13 Sifrei Torah? in one day? 13 Sifrei Torah in one day? The answer must be, it was a supernatural miracle. It was an ace, 13 Torahs in one day. So with this, Tosos and Menachos asks, uh, asks and answers a very interesting question. You know, uh, Shabbos Mincha, I don't know if you all have in Shabbos Mincha, but after the Shabbos Mincha Amida, there are three short uh, psukim that we say, uh, your righteousness is forever. Hashem will bring salvation to man and beast. And this is called Siddhuk Adin. Siddhuk Adin is we justify, we accept God's judgment. So why do you do, like you say at Leviah, why do you do Siddhuk Adin on Shabbos? Because it says, Shabbos Mincha, Three great tzaddikim died Shabbos afternoon. Maishu Rabbeinu, well, actually in order, Yosef HaTzadik, Moshe Rabbeinu, David HaMelech. 
So Shabbos afternoon, there is a certain element of sadness. So we say tzidok hadim. In fact, there's even some have a minag. Okay, I don't want to go into it because we don't want to encourage Beitel Torah, but they have a minag of not learning Torah in the late Shabbos afternoon because it's kind of a time of mourning. But again, as I say, uh, according to that, uh, they wouldn't they wouldn't do it. But but again, our, our minag is we do learn and we do say Pirkei Avos, of course. So Tosas Hasakasha. How could you say Moshe Rabbeinu died Shabbos afternoon? On the last day of his life, he wrote 13 Sifrei Torah. You're not allowed to write on Shabbos. How could Moshe write on Shabbos, right? So Tysus answers, since you have to say this was a miracle, this was not Derech HaTeva. So Tosus says, there's no Iser to do Malacha through miracles. <laughs> Because the Torah prohibits only human activity, not supernatural. So, that could be good news for you, if any of you want to apply to Hogwarts uh, school. <laughs> Wait, but... <how laughs> and you're worried about Shabbos? <laughs> According to Tosos, no problem. <laughs> but don't I have to say that, like, Hashem keeps Shabbos, and Hashem is not there that's, that's a good, that's, that's a good kasha. It, it, it is a good kasha, but... Uh, <laughs> But for Hashem, okay, the difference for Hashem, miracle is Teva. In other words, but, but since Mitzad, me as a human being, I have a dichotomy between natural and miraculous. So for me, I'm only usher with what's natural for me. For Hashem, everything is natural. So it's going to be, it's going to be the same. It's going to be the same in that, in that way. Okay. So now here's what the Chazinish says. So the point of the Chazinish going back is Moshe got all the mitzvahs. But Hashem told him when he would reveal it to us. And that's over time. Now again, that actually means, that's, this is a very hard uh, uh, thing to do. So whenever you read in the Torah, a mitzvah is given after this story, after this story, after this story, after this story, it's not that this is the first time Moshe heard of this mitzvah. Moshe knew the mitzvah Misina. But these are the occasions where Hashem tells him, now is the time to tell the people. Now, you're going to have to ask why. Why did Hashem want the mitzvah to be revealed only at a certain time? That's always going to be a good question. So now, says the Chazanish very brilliantly, when Moshe is confronted with these questions, it's not that he doesn't know what the halacha is. Moshe Rabbeinu knows the halacha is a mechal Shabbos gets stoned. Moshe Rabbeinu knows the halacha is a Megadev gets stoned. Moshe Rabbeinu knows there's such a thing as Pesach Sheini. Moshe Rabbeinu knows that daughters inherit when there's no sons. But since Hashem had not yet given him the green light, Moshe doesn't know how he should paskin. Am I allowed to paskin based on what I know, but what I have not yet revealed to B'nai Yisrael? He asks Hashem. And Hashem says... Now is the time to reveal it. That's a beautiful shot. So that way, there's nothing that Moshe didn't know. But Moshe Rabbeinu was not able to paskin based on what Hashem didn't give him the authorization to reveal. Right? This is the Chazunish's understanding of Pesach Sheni. So Moshe knew there was a law of Pesach Sheni, but Moshe didn't know if he's allowed to apply it yet. And Hashem wanted it to come through these people. Same thing with the daughters of Tzolapchad and the like. So now, we have a very interesting situation that 
Pesach Sheni was revealed to B'nai Yisrael only because a group of people said, we don't want to be excluded. Now, what if their attitude would have been? I mean, let's imagine this. Let's, let's, take, let's take a joke. Let's imagine that Pesach is, Pesach is coming, right? And you're going crazy with Pesach, cleaning up and everything else. And you get a letter from HaKadosh Baruch that says, you don't have to keep Pesach this year. You're putter from cleaning up. And let's imagine you knew for sure it was an authentic letter. It was a genuine letter. Would you complain and say, oh, I don't want to be excluded. I want, I want this mitzvah. I mean, if you're putter, if you're exempt, you're exempt. There's no reason to complain. Now, what would have been if they wouldn't have complained? They wouldn't have gotten so there are two wonderful lessons from Pesach Sheni. First, Pesach Sheni is the gift of the second chance. That when Hashem puts opportunities in your life for holiness, and for whatever reason you were impure or far away from Hashem, far away from the derech, and a person thinks it's hopeless and there's no way I'll ever be able to achieve that Kedusha. Pesach Sheini says, there'll be another chance. Hashem will give you another chance. The door is never closed. That's lesson number one. But lesson number two is, the door is open only if you ask for it, only if you want it. If they wouldn't have wanted it, it wouldn't have been. Hashem gave Pesach Sheni because they wanted that second chance. So that's the really important idea. Hashem will always give you a second chance. But you have to care enough to want that second chance. If they wouldn't have asked, they wouldn't have gotten. Right? So those are the two lessons of Pesach Sheni that are relevant to our own Avodah Hashem. And that's why, in many ways, it's a very, very... Again, we don't make a big deal about it. Maybe we should. But it's a very optimistic and hopeful and joyous message. That no matter how Tameh you are, no matter how far you are from Hashem, the halacha is that you know you have Pesach Sheni, you have a second chance. Now, I'm trying to remember. I think the Rebbe had an interesting psak for his chassidim. I don't know how many years he follow it. Uh, he instructed them. It wasn't a high for everybody, but he, he, he told Yechidim that they should be outside of Yerushalayim uh, until, until the afternoon of Erev Pesach. Meaning, if I live in Yerushalayim, I should leave the city and not come back till after Chatzos. What was his svara? His svara was like this, a very, very complicated point. The halacha is that there is a shayla. Can you bring a korban Pesach with We don't do it, but, but there are opinions that say you have to bring a korban Pesach today. But the halacha is, if you were outside of Yushalayim, 
by the middle of the day, that's called rechoka, that's called far away, and that potters you from bringing the Korban Pesach on the 14th, and then you would do the same thing on Pesach Sheni, so you would never become chayev in the Korban. And that way, he said, you would avoid the halachic shayla of the you have to bring a Korban Pesach. So he says there is a way, so he was acting miyayets, that Shaluchim or Hasidim today should find a way not to be chayev in Korban Pesach because otherwise you'd be chayev and not able to bring it, and that may create a problem. So that's the question, me, meaning, me, meaning this is a suffix, meaning some say there's no basic mikdash, you don't bring it. Others say the holiness of the temple is still there even today, so you should bring it today. So the Rebbe held that because there is at least an opinion that says you have to bring it today, uh, it's important to make yourself exempt from bringing it. So that way you don't have an Avera in not bringing it. So the way is that at the time of the Korban Pesach Schiev, which is middle of the day, Chatzos, you are more than a few, you're outside of Yerushalayim. And that's called Derech Rechoka, and that exempts you. So he actually paskened that way, that uh, they should not be in Yerushalayim uh, until the middle of the day. So if you live in Yerushalayim, you, uh, you know, leave the night before, and uh, you come home after Chatzos, after one o'clock in the afternoon. Again, I don't know if anyone, I don't know if that many people follow that, but that actually was a hard, well, you're what people, you know people that do that there? No, I'm oh. saying we didn't do it. Yeah, yeah, but there is, uh, there is, there, there is uh, at least in a letter, maybe he was saying it as a suggestion, now it's not always a hurrah, but, but he said, he thought that would be the best thing, the best thing to do. Okay, all right. Um, now, one other thing about Pesach Sheni, and this is very, very interesting. Uh, the law that if I'm Tomei, I bring my Korban Pesach, Pesach Sheni, only applies for individuals. If most of the Jewish people are Tomei, they actually bring a Korban Pesach on the 14th. So today, if you would maintain that you could bring the Korban Pesach without a base of Mikdash, we would all bring it the first Pesach, not, not Pesach Sheni because this is called Tuma Hutra B'tzibor. The laws of impurity are set aside for a congregation. So if most of the Jewish people are Tameh, there is no Pesach Sheni, you actually bring the Korban Yedalit Nisan. Except today. Yeah. What's the reason? Yeah. So, well, uh, well, well, the Klal the is Tuma, the laws of impurity, Hutra are permitted, are set aside, but Sibor for the community. And the drasha is, because when the Torah talks about Pesach Sheni, it talks about a person being Tameh. So we darshan a yachid being Tameh and not a Sibor being Tameh. I mean, the logic of it would be that the Jewish people as a klal <coughs> never becomes impure. And therefore, when we look at the klal Yisrael, it's always in a state of impurity, even if they were in contact with the dead or, or whatever. Okay. <clears throat> so that is one uh, occasion. Uh, that's the occasion of Pesach Sheni. Uh, let me talk a little bit about a, sec- a second occasion this week. And again, I, I forgive me if I'm repeating stuff. Or, uh, that's Lagba Omer, the 33rd day of the, the Omer. Um, uh, are you planning uh, going to Meron this year or not? Or not uh, no, okay. Well, you know, as you remember, last year, Mayron was a very uh, tragic event. Uh, there were 40, more than 40 people 
who were trampled, who died in Meiron, uh, and obviously uh, there were safety uh, violations, but Hashkacha Pratis also mandated that this great tragedy happens. Uh, this year, people are still going, and obviously the precautions are going to be uh, much, uh, much stricter. And Bezras Hashem, uh, whoever goes, should, uh, should, come, should go and come back in, in Shalom and in good health and the like. Uh, but we know that Lad Ba'aymer, the 33rd day of the Aymer, is a festive day. It's a festive day, it's a happy day. And uh, there are two different reasons that are given for its happiness. The first reason that's given is that during the Omer period, 24,000 students of Rabbi Akiva died because they did not show proper respect for each other. But on Lag Ba'omer, their death stopped. Now there's a machlokas. Did it just stop for that day and then continued afterwards? Those are the people who keep Avelis after Lagba Omer, or did it stop and that was the end of it? That's a machlokas. Was it mamish the end or was it just a break? But either way, Lagba Omer, none of his students died. It became a great simcha. Now, there's another reason that's given for Lagba Omer. And this is from the Arizal's writings. The Arizal writes that this was the day that Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai died. Now you might say, well, why would that be a happy day? The day that he died? Because the day that he died, he revealed the great, great secrets of the Torah, the great light that uh, is in the Zohar, and when that light is revealed to the world, that is a source of great, great joy. Now, it's interesting, some say that this is based on a printing mistake, because in the Kisve Arizal, by the way, you, you know, when we say Kisve Ari, just a little information, you know that we're not really talking about what the Arizal wrote. The Arizal wrote very, very little. Really, we're talking about uh, Rav Chaim Vital. Rav Chaim Vital, was the Arizal's Talmud. He was his greatest Talmud. And he is the one who wrote down much of what we know from the Arizal, and then he explained it. So whenever you hear the phrase, Kisve Ha'ari, the writings of the Ari, Ari is an abbreviation, Adoneinu Rabbeinu Yitzchak. His name, the Ari is Rav Yitzchak Gloria, right? Adoneinu Rabbeinu Yitzchak. Ari means lion, so it's also a pun on that. Uh, but Kisve Ha'ari is not the Ari, it's really Rav Chaim Vital. Okay, but be it as it may, in the Kisve Ari it is written that Lag Ba'omer is Yom Shemespo, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. Now Yom Shemespo, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, means the day that he died. And that's kind of been Makubal in Klal Yisrael, that it is the yard site of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. However, some have pointed out in the earliest, in the earliest editions of the Kisve Ari, it does not say Yom Shemes, it says Yom Simchas. In other words, a ches, an extra ches there. The day of the rejoicing of Rav Shimon Bar Yochai, which means he taught the Zohar, 
but it doesn't say he died. In later printings, the ches got deleted, so instead of simchat, it reads shemes. So some have argued that the whole assumption that Lag Ba'aymer is the day that Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai died is based on a printing error in the Kisvei Arizal. Okay, but that's not going to change anything because even like the original version that is the day of Simcha, you're still saying the Zohar was revealed. So whether he died or didn't die that day, may, maybe there's a question about that. But anyway, uh, these are the two different reasons. The stopping of the deaths of Rabbi Akiva and the revelation of the Zohar of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. Now that's why Meiron is connected to Lag Boimer because Meiron is where Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai lived Meiron is where Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, together with his son Elazar, Rav Shimon, is buried. So on the day of Lag Baimer, people go and they daven by the kever of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. Yeah. It was the day, when we say it was the day of rejoicing for Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, we mean that it was the day that the Zohar was revealed? Yeah, probably so. Meaning even if it wasn't the day he died, it was the day that he revealed the Zohar, whatever day that was. But it's Lav Dafka, the day of his the day of his death. By the way, Rav Shimon himself was a Talmud of Rabbi Akiva. Uh, it's interesting that uh, so yeah, these are opposite reasons. One reason we celebrate Lad Bomer is because they stopped dying, and the other reason is one of them did die <laughs> later. <laughs> I mean, you're you're both celebrating a death, so to speak, and you're celebrating the stopping of the death, right? At the same at the same time, all the different different years, obviously. So here's the thing that um, I, I want to bring out. These two celebrations of Lagba Omer really encapsulate two contradictory ideas of Sviras Omer as a whole. And Lagba Omer kind of summarizes two contradictory things, which are really not contradictory, but in real life we often make them contradictory. First of all, we have this idea uh, that the basic idea of Sfirasa Omer is to prepare ourselves for Matan Torah. Pesach is the holiday of freedom, Shavuos is the holiday of Torah, and we connect them by counting the Omer as if to tell us freedom is not worth anything unless you connect it to Hashem. Right? That's why Chazal say that, that we talked about this, that the Korban that was brought on Pesach is a barley offering called the Omer, and the korban that's brought on Shavuos is a wheat offering, two loaves of wheat bread. Barley was commonly given to animals. Wheat was eaten by humans because freedom without Torah is animal freedom. And with Torah, it becomes human freedom. And Svirasa Saomer reminds me that a Pesach without a Shavuos is not worth anything. Pesach needs Shavuos. Shavuos is the end of Pesach. In fact, Ramban even says, fascinatingly, that the counting of the Omer is the whole Hamoed of one big holiday, Pesach Shavuos. Chol Hamoed. Now, it doesn't have all the laws of Chol Hamoed, that, that's true, but spiritually it's like Chol Hamoed. So when you tell your boss you don't work on Chol Hamoed, and you, you, know, you might take off seven weeks, but uh, you know, I wouldn't advise it. Okay. Alrighty, so that's one aspect of Sphira. We prepare ourselves for Matan Torah. But the other aspect of Sphira is we think about the tragic deaths 
of the students of Rabbi Akiva. Right? They died tragically. And it's not so much we're mourning over a tragedy because after all, we had the Holocaust. We had worse tragedies. This is not the worst tragedy of Jewish history. Like people ask the question. We talked about it last week, I think. You know, what, what, I mean, why am I, so, why am I commemorating this tragedy more than other tragedies? And the reason is, it's not because of the tragedy, but it's because of the reason. The students of Rabbi Akiva died because they did not show proper kavod to each other. They didn't love each other enough. They didn't have enough respect for each other. They didn't see the chashivas of each other. So our job is to think about that and resolve in our own lives how to grow in avas Yisrael, how to grow in seeing the good in each other. Again, the word kavod is very important. Rav Shemshavalar says that kavod comes from the word kaved. Kaved means heavy. Seeing kavod doesn't just mean I'm polite to you. I can be polite to a person, but I consider them a nothing. Kavod is you see their weight. I don't mean physical weight. You see their significance. You see their chashivas. That's very different than I'm nice to you even though like, you know, like you pet a dog or something. Right? Kavod is I see the chashivas of a person. Now, why the students of Rabbi Akiva were lacking in this, it's hard for us to understand. Maybe it was that they were so connected to their Rebbe, who was so great that they didn't, their connection was vertical rather than horizontal, meaning they, they looked at each other, ah, who needs you? I have, you know, I have the highest one, right? And it's something that people need to think about sometimes when uh, they have a great, great Rebbe. Sometimes they don't necessarily learn from each other, you know. The Rebbe himself used to say this left. The Rebbe himself would uh, often say that... Uh, you have to have a chavrusa, you have to have a, 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 a Rebbe that you ask Shilas to, and you can't just say, oh, I have no Rebbe, so I'll go to the Rebbe for everything. He says you have to develop all of these other connections in daily life, right? The Rebbe talked about this very much. And this, in some ways, may have been the problem with the students of Rabbi Akiva, that they were so connected to this great, 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 great Rebbe that they didn't see the value in their connections to each other. And, and the like. So what do I do during Svira? I think about the students of Rabbi Akiva to be masaking, to rectify the lack of kavod, to grow in Abbas Yisrael. Right? So in short, Svira Saomer has two different themes. One is to prepare for Matan Torah and the other is to grow in Avas Yisrael and seeing the chashivas, the importance of every Jew, the preciousness of every Jew. Now, why do I say that this is like a contradiction? It's not really a contradiction, but behaviorally it often is, because if you think about it, there's a tendency in life, maybe more among non-Chassidim, maybe Chabad doesn't have this problem, but it is a problem generally that the more I grow in my Yiddishkeit, the more I grow in my religious fervor, my enthusiasm, my passion, the more in Yiddish we say, the more frabrent I am, the more on fire I am, often that leads me to look down at people who are not necessarily holding at my level, what I think is my level. 
And I look down, and I'm not tolerant, and I say, oh, I don't want to talk to that person. They don't do this, and they don't do that, and oh, you know, whatever it is. Uh, they have a TV, whatever it would be. In other words, we tend to become so passionate in our service of Hashem that we no longer care to deal with people who are not on that madrega that we think, we think we're better or whatever. That could also be wrong. The Rebbe used to say, <laughs> he didn't like the phrase, I mentioned this before, Kirov um, Rechaikim. It's a very common phrase. When you have Jewish outreach to people who are not yet religious, so we say, bring a person who's far away, bring him close. Kirov Rechaikim. Very common phrase. Everybody uses it. So the Rebbe didn't like it. Uh, he said, first of all, how can you talk about any Jew as being far from God? What do you mean, taking a Jew who's far away and bringing him near? A Jew is not far from God. He may not know he's near, so maybe you have to ch- tell him that he's near. But you don't have to take a person who's far away and bring him near. He's already close. That was his first point. The second point, which is a little sarcastic, was how do you know who's close and who's far? <laughs> you say to yourself, I'm, cl- I'm close and you're far and I'm here to bring you near. Maybe the person you think is far is closer than you who think you're near. <laughs> so that's the other, that's the other point. Um, so this, but this is the problem. As I grow in my Yiddishkeit, I may look down at friends and family and parents and you know, all those other people, etc. Now, the other way around is also a problem. Let's assume that I'm a tolerant, accepting person. I'm okay, you're okay, everybody's beautiful. Everybody is loved by Hashem. But sometimes that can mean you're kind of wishy-washy on Emmas. Because like everything is good. Oh, you believe in abortion, Hashem, whatever, whatever you want, transgender. I mean, everyone should be whatever gender they want to be. You know, in other words, you understand the problem. We live in a kind of a world where the more accepting I am, the less committed I am to Emmas, to truth. But then the other way around, the more committed I am to truth, the less accepting I am. So what is Sfira Sa'imer telling you to do? You gotta do both. You gotta accept Hashem's Torah. And you have to be Mesaka and the Chait of the Tamidim of Rabbi Akiva to have covered for everything. And the way you do it, which means we'll call this non-binary thinking. In other words, don't look at it as two choices, like a seesaw, you either do this or do this, you have to do both. You have to do both. And the way you do both is to recognize that part of my passionate connection to Torah is including that's part of Torah too. Being passionate about Torah doesn't only mean brachos and Shabbos and kashras and tefillah, which of course it does mean that, but it also means man and, and a man. Man. Uh, Avas Yisrael. And Avas Yisrael is not like, some people look at it this way. Some people say, oh, being a religious Jew means I daven, keep Shabbos and kosher. Avas Yisrael just means I'm a nice guy or a nice girl. Okay, that's not religious, I'm just a nice person. No, that's not, that's not the way you have to look at it. You have to look at it as, this is Torah also. This is from Hashem. This is part of the mitzvahs. You want to be passionate about mitzvahs. You've got to be passionate about this. This is not like you know, just being a nice person superimposed on Torah. This is Torah itself. 
Right? We make a whole mistake. Like we think, what is a religious Jew? And we'll only give, you know, those you know, rituals that religious Jews do. But we don't think, oh, a religious Jew is somebody, you know, who's Makayim Kibbut Aviyem and Abbas Yisrael and, and Chesed and Stoka and Sever Panim Yafos, greeting people with a pleasant way. That's also a religious Jew, right? Okay, so that's an important point that Svira Saimer incorporates two ideas that on some level is a contradiction. But we have to understand that both of them have to be in it. Yeah, I think Chabad uh, manages to do this very nicely, so maybe I'm, I'm speaking to the choir, as the saying goes. But okay, but this is a, a muster that people have to have to take. That we can't let our growth in Yiddishkeit become something that rejects people and cuts people off and delegitimates them and everything else. I remember many many years ago, I was giving a, a shear a class to. Uh, not Balichu, to totally non-religious people. They were not, they were not religious, but they, were, they wanted to hear some, something. So at the end of the shir, a woman went over to me and she prefaced her question by saying, I'm not as religious as you, but whatever the question was, I don't even remember. So I said at the time, why do you say you're not as religious as me? Maybe you're more religious than me. There may be some things I do, like the Shabbos or kosher, that you don't do. Maybe uh, you speak uh, less Lashon Hara. Maybe you honor your parents more. Maybe you uh, give more tzedakah. Maybe you uh, greet people in a nicer way. That's religious too. That's not, right? That's religious. That's keeping Hashem's Torah. So really, it's not a question, I'm more religious than you. There may be mitzvot that you do that are better than me. There may be mitzvot I do that are better than you. So we have to learn from each other, right? We have to take from each other uh, the good that we can take, right? So that's, uh, that's kind of the attitude of being the sake, not seeing the kavod in another person. So now, let's go to Lagba Omer. Lagba Omer, and that's one day of Lagba Omer, encapsulates both of these themes. On one hand, Lagba Omer is the day that Rabbi Akiva's Talmidim stopped dying. Now, let's ask the question, why on Lagba Omer did they stop dying? What is special about Lagba Omer that they would stop dying? Like, why? So I don't want to get into all of the Kabbalah. We don't have time. But as you know, the seven weeks of Svira are linked to the seven lower Sviros of Kabbalah. Chesed, Gevur, Teferis, etc. And we also know that each day of a week is also linked to that, which means... Uh, Every day of Svira has a day-week linkage to the seven lower Sviras. So let's take an example. The first week of Svira, which is Pesach, is the week of Chesed. The first day of Svira, which is in the week of Pesach, second day of Pesach, is the day of Chesed. So the way we describe the first day of Svira, first night of Svira, Chesed, Sheba Chesed. The loving kindness in the loving kindness. The second day of Pesach is still the week of Chesed, but it's the day of Gevura, so it's called Gevura Sheba Chesed. The Chabad Seder has this. Yes, yes. And that's to be distinguished from the first day of the second week, which is Chesed Sheba Gevura. Now, this is complicated, and in fact, there are guides. I think Chabad even publishes a guide uh, 
that each day has a unique divine service that you should think about connected to this Svira combination. Like, what do you think about if it's Chesed Shebikvura? What do you think about if it's Netzach? Well, whatever it is. And because how do you translate? I mean, that's the most important thing. How do you translate these spiritual Kabbalistic ideas into your own divine service? That's really the key mission. Okay? And uh, so, so there are, in fact, it's very useful to get a, a book or a calendar uh, that tells you what is your Avaida on day 22 of Sphira, or whatever it would be, the different combinations. Okay. So we also know. Again, I'm really, obviously, I'm cutting a lot of corners here. I just want to get out a basic structure. We also know that each of these spheros is modeled by a certain human being. That's the epitome of this madrega. So chesed is Avraham. Gavura, inner strength and discipline, is Yitzchak. Tiferes, which is beauty, is Yaakov. Netzach, which is eternity or victory, is Moshe Rabbeinu. Hod, which is glory, is Aaron. In Kabbalah, Moshe and Aaron come before Yosef. Yesod, foundation, which is the sixth week, is Yosef. That's a Moshe, Aaron, then Yosef. And the seventh week, which is the seventh sphere, is Malchus, kingship, which is David HaMelech. So another way of referring to this is that each week corresponds to one of these personalities. Avram, Yitzchak, Yaakov, Moshe, Aaron, Yosef, David. Same thing with the Yushpizen. That's why I'll pee the Arizal. The order of the Yushpizen on Sukkot is Moshe is number four and Aaron is five and Yosef is six. Not in chronological order, unlike the Yekis, mm-hmm. who because they're Yekis, uh, make it in chronological order. They have, the, they have Yosef after. Yosef is before Moshe. <laughs> but Alpi Kabbalah in the Sviras, it works in a different way. That's why you have Moshe, Aaron before. Okay. So now, here is the thing. Again, I'm simplifying, but, but you see a beautiful thing for Lag Bomer. Let's ask ourselves, what week is Lag Omer and what day in the week is Lag Omer? 33. 33 of the Omer is, the, is four weeks and five days. Got that? Right, right, right. It's Hayom, right? Shlosha, Shloshim Yom, Shahem, Arba'a, Shabuos, Vachamisha Yomim. Now, it's a little confusing. When we say we've already counted four weeks, that means we're in the fifth week. So Lagba Omer is the fifth week or the fifth day in the fifth week. The fifth week of Sphira is the week of Hod, glory, which is Aram. The fifth day of the week is also Hod. So Lagba Omer is Hod, the glory of the glory. Or if you translate it into the personality, it's a double dose of Aaron. You're getting Aaron both in the day and in the week. Right? And you follow, follow that. Ah. What does Aaron represent? What does Hod represent? Hod represents seeing the goodness in people. Stepping back 
and letting them shine. This was the Mida of Aaron HaKohen. Aaron was the Ohev Shalom, the lover of peace, the pursuer of peace. He loved all people, and through his love, he brought them. I'm just quoting Pirkeavos. Oeves Abrios, Umakarvan Torah. He loved them, and he brought them to Torah. Which means there's a spiritual kolach that comes into the world, Lagba Omer. And the spiritual kolach of Lagba Omer is loving other Jews and seeing their goodness. Because it's Hod Sheba Hod. The day of Hod, the week of Hod, Aaron HaKohen. So now you can understand why the students of Rabbi Akiva stopped dying that day. The students of Rabbi Akiva died because they didn't see the value in each other. They were blinded. But for that one day, Hashem took the mask or the veil off their eyes. The Hashpah of Aaron. Let them see the world in a different way. To see, as if they had an x-ray vision, to see the neshama, the panemius of the beauty of the neshama. And at that point, they did see the kavod in each other. Therefore, they were liberated from death. Now, maybe it came back again. Maybe it only lasted one day, but at least for that day. Their, the veil from their eyes was lifted. Hod Shabahod. Now, when we look at Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, we see on some level an opposite thing that we're thinking about. In other words, the stopping of the deaths of Rabbi Akiva accentuates the Avas Yisrael idea of Sphira, seeing the Kavod, and that's how we got liberated from the Magepa, from the plague, right? Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai was a very interesting person, a very uh, unusual person, obviously. Um, there's a machlokas, Rabbi Yishmael and Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, how to interpret a verse in Kriya Shema. The Torah says in the Shema that if you keep Hashem's mitzvot, he will give you rain and you will gather your grain. Vasavta iganecha. So Rabbi Ishmael says, oh, if the Torah says you're allowed to gather your grain, that implies a Jew is allowed to work for a living. Meaning even though you're supposed to learn Torah, but Hashem says you're allowed to work for a living. That sounds logical. You're allowed to work. Work is not also. Okay. Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai actually says working for a living is usher. He says, what type of life is that? You're going to plant when it's time to, when you're, you're going to plow when it's time to plow? Plant when it's time to plant? Harvest when it's time to harvest? When will you serve Hashem properly? So he actually says the amazing idea that a person should put all of his trust in Hashem and only learn and daven and do mitzvahs. And Hashem will take care of you. 
And in truth, this happened in his own life. He was in a cave hiding from the Romans for 12 years. 12 years. And during that time, there were fountains of water that gave him water and fruit trees that gave him fruit. People do ask Akasha, uh, if it's a newly created tree, wouldn't there be an orla problem that he couldn't eat it for three years? Yeah, interesting questions like how if Hashem created a new tree, that wouldn't be the best thing for him. Okay. Um, and birds brought in meat, presumably with hashkacha plumbas on it, or they were to be sure it was kosher. So his attitude was, it worked for me. Did he actually think that it would work for everyone then? So it seems that he thought it was possible. In fact, the Gemara says that when he went out of the cave after 12 years, he saw people working and he looked at them and they burnt up, they died. And Hashem said, go back to the cave. You're not ready for this world. Now the Gemara says, many people followed the path of Rabbi Yishmael, of combining Torah with Parnassah, and Hashem blessed them. They were successful. And many people tried to be like Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, and they were starving. It didn't work for them. They weren't on that madrega. Which means we normally follow the path of Rabbi Yishmael. But what does Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai represent? He represents a person who is totally, totally, totally at a level of ultimate emuna, who does not want to spend a second of his time on Divrechol. A person who every moment of his existence is Kedusha, Torah learning, mitzvahs. So again, just to reiterate where, where we're going with this, we looked at the counting of the Omer and we said there are two ideas in the counting of the Omer. One is to prepare myself for Matan Torah and the other is to be more open in Avas Yisrael and Kavot. And in life, these are often in a bit of a conflict. Look at the two things we celebrate Lag Ba'omer, and you see it corresponds to this. The, the connection to Rabbi Shimon Reyochai talks about passion, commitment, not deviating from truth, no matter how hard it is. But the stopping of the deaths of Rabbi Akiva teaches us Aaron of Aaron, Hod Shabahod. So Lag Ba'omer itself encaps, encapsulates these two basic ideas, that we have to grow in our Yiddishkeit, but part of the growth in that Yiddishkeit is to grow in Abbas Yisrael. Again, as I say, Baruch Hashem, I think uh, Chabad uh, does it better than, than many, uh, but in the from Jewish world, this is actually a struggle. This is a struggle, uh, because often the direction that Chinuch takes is one of exclusion. This type of Jew, no good. This type of Jew is no good. This is no good. Don't talk to this one. Don't interact with this one. Separate, separate, separate. And, you know, it is hard because I do understand that we sometimes have to separate ourselves and our children from very bad influences. That's very, very true. But there has to be a way at which at the same time we can see the good in people. We can see the chashivas in people. We can see that... You know, the Tselem Elokim, the, the Nefesh Elokis uh, in them. Uh, and I, I've mentioned this Pasuk many times. A beautiful Pasuk in Mishlei from Shlomo HaMelech, the wisest of all people. Kamayim apanim elpanim kain leif adam liadam. As water reflects 
the face that you show it, so too the heart of a human being reflects that which you show it. What does that pasuk mean? Imagine you have a reflecting pool of water. It reflects back. So I look into the water. What will I see in the water? I will see in the water whatever face I show the water. If I'm smiling, I will see a smiling face. If I'm frowning, I will see a frowning face. So Shlomo Melech is teaching me, just as water reflects back the face that you show it, the heart of a human being will reflect back all that you show a human being. I show a human being love and respect, they will feel love and respect for me. I show a human being denigration, they don't count, they're not, they're not worth anything, that's how they're going to feel about me. Whatever I show them is what they're going to feel about me. Kamayim upon him, upon him. So, this is why in Eretz Yisrael, religious, secular machlokas never gets resolved. Because the way people discuss things here is they look at the other side and say, you're an idiot, or you're a Russia, or you're a Malik, or you're a parasite, or you're a, a lazy, whatever it is, do nothing. So what's going to be? Uh, I look at a Chiloni and I say, uh, he's a Malik. He'll look at me and say, you're a parasite who doesn't work. You're sure, right? And it goes on and on and on and on and on as each side continues to insult the other side, that just causes whoever the other side is to have more insulting feelings. But if we would have the attitude, I look at a soldier, religious or not, even not religious, and I say, I'm grateful for what you do. You know, I know you put your life in danger, you do, do things to protect us with the help of God. I'm grateful for what you do. I appreciate for what you do. Then, it could very well be that that soldier will appreciate Torah and mitzvahs, what religious Jews do, you know. The other way around, instead of kind of saying, they're my enemy and I gotta denigrate them in whatever way, see the good in what they're doing. You know, there's a story I, I like. It's, 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 I mean, it may not, it's not a, not a big, big story, but it, for some reason it moves me a lot. I'll, I'll tell you this. And I love this story a lot, even though it's not a, not a miracle story. Uh, this involves uh, the great Rav Chaim Ozer Grodzenski of Vilna. I don't know if you've heard the name. Rav Chaim Ozer Grodzenski was uh, the Gadolator with the Chafetz Chaim. Uh, he was actually very close to the, the Rebbe, the Friedeker Rebbe. They worked together on many, many things. Uh, the Rebbe himself knew Rav Chaim Ozer, but, but he was much younger when Rav Chaim Ozer was, was Nifter. And... Um, Rav Chaim Moser controlled huge, huge amounts of money because millions of dollars of refugee aid came to him and he determined who would get it and how it would be distributed. And he was a place where everybody went to. He managed to get the yeshivas moved over to Shanghai, away from Europe. He rescued many, many people. He died in 1941, towards the beginning of the Holocaust. And... Um, one day he was meeting with a representative from the Joint. The Joint Distribution Committee was an American organization that distributed money to poor European Jews during the war, managed to get things in. And uh, this man's name was Dr. Samuel Schmidt. He was a physician, but he was volunteering for this duty. 
and he was talking to Rav Chaim Moser about money and where it, should, where it should go and how to, how to distribute it. So at some point in the meeting, Dr. Schmidt was not a Shomer Shabbos, he was a Machal Shabbos. At some point in the meeting, Rav Chaim Moser put his hand on Dr. Schmidt's hand and said to him, Dr. Schmidt, do you mind if I call you Reb Shmuel? Reb Shmuel. So Dr. Schmidt started crying. He said, Rebbe, you know, Reb, Reb is a title of honor a little bit. He says, you know, Rebbe, I don't keep Shabbos, I don't keep kosher, I don't, you know, keep anything, you know, I, I don't deserve you to call me Reb. So Rav Chaim Moser said to him, what do you mean? You're not a good Jew, he says. Uh, you, you leave your comfortable medical practice, you come to a dangerous war zone to help other Yidden, you think you're not a good Jew? He says, you're a wonderful Jew. Look at what you're doing for the Jewish people. A person like you deserves to be Reb Shmuel. You're not just Dr. Schmidt. You're a Reb Shmuel. So Dr. Schmidt recounts that he began crying. And uh, that day, he went home and he put on tefillin. And he became a Shomer Shabbos with that one speech. Now, Rechaim Eisner didn't give him a Musr Shmuz. He didn't tell him to be from. He didn't even tell him to do any mitzvahs. But the fact that Rav Chaim Eiser told him he was a good Jew and he was serving Hashem, that gave him the ability to do mitzvahs because he was seen to be a good person. And that's an amazing thing. That's an amazing story that when people feel... In fact, what do they say? There's, there's a saying that uh, no person can become better unless they feel they're already good. Meaning, if I think I'm broken, I think I'm a Russia, I think I'm worthless, what's going to happen is I'm going to lose hope, I'm going to lose faith. So a person has to know the greatness of their uh, right, nefesh elokis, that God is within them, and then you get motivated. So you don't get motivated by hearing how bad you are. You get motivated by hearing how great you are, how holy you are, how good you are. And then you want to make your reality fit, fit what you really are. Or make your external reality fit your, your internal reality. Okay? And uh, that is the idea of hot shavahot. That is the message of, of Lagbaim. Okay? So those are, um, those are some things to think about. Uh, Lagbaim there. So do you have any plans? So you say you're not going to Meiron, you're going to Kever of Shimon Atzadik or whatever. <laughs> Some people make it what's called a Gezei Rishava. That's when you have similar wording because uh, right near where I am is the Kever of Shimon Atzadik. Now, Shimon Atzadik has nothing to do with Shimon Bar Yochai except for the fact that they both have the name uh, Shimon. But a lot of people uh, go to Shimon Atzadik Kever uh, on Lag Bomer. That's where they do the upsharings and, 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 and the like. Uh, of course, that's Arab Jerusalem. It's not so safe either, but, you know, that, 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 yeah. I have a random question. Um, saying that it was speaking in the order of Avraham Yitzchak, Yaakov, Yosef, Moshe, Aaron, David, like Yosef, the Yosef, Yosef, yeah. that's just a, a Yekish attack? Not Yaki, but uh, mainly, mainly Yaki, really. Because, uh, like, yeah. my family is not, we always had in that order. You always go in order? You, in, in, in you, that you go Yosef first, are you speaking? You're from Yitzchabad? Or, okay. Um, all right, I, I'd be surprised. I'll, I'll try to check, I'll try to check, because... Uh, See, here's the thing. Ushpizen is a minute based on Kabbalah. It's not based, right? So based on Kabbalah, it's a little inconsistent to kind of take the Kabbalistic minute and then follow a different order. 
because of chronology. But I'll check. It could be maybe it's more widespread than, than that. But based on the spheros, Yosef is always number six, and Moshe and Aaron is are four and uh, four and five. And by the way, this 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 permeates everything. This is Ushpizen. This is the counting of the Omer. This is the Hakafos on Simchas Torah, and even the Hakafos on Hashanah Rabbah. Once you have this pattern of the spheros, everything just like everything that's four in the Torah is the four Goliaths, the four exiles. <laughs> everything that's seven are the lower seven spheros. By the way, there are ten spheros, as you know, but the first three, Chachma, well, either Kesser, Chachma Bina, or Chachma Bina Das, are considered to be so high and so elevated that they are really beyond our comprehension. So we only talk about the lower seven, which represent midos, behavioral manifestation, rather than the upper three that represent muchet, the kind of the brains of Hashem, the mind of Hashem. So that's mechusa, that's covered. That's why we don't have any physical symbolism for keser, chachmabina, or chachmabindas. There's two ways of counting that, uh, as, as it were. Okay, that's why... Uh, Non, well, well the, even the names of Hasidus are this way. Um, you know, Chabad is called Chabad Hasidus, and that's to be contrasted with all other Hasidus that is called Chagat Hasidus. Now, Chagat Hasidus is Chesed Gevura Tiferes, which are the first three of the, the last seven spheros, and they are emotional attributes. Chagat is loving kindness, Gevur is inner strength and discipline, Teferis is the beauty that harmonizes. So what the Alter Rebbe wanted to be Machadesh was, he wanted a Chasidus. Again, it's, it's well, I'm sure you've learned Tanya, so you know all this, but uh, the idea is that the ten spheros of Hashem are also imprinted in our, in our nefesh. We have the Chachma bin Adas Chesed within our nefesh. These are kochos of our nefesh, which in microcosm mimic the spheros of HaKadosh Baruch essence. And uh, the Alter Rebbe said that most Hasidus was rooted in emotional arousal. Chesed, Gevur, Teferis, your emotions got aroused. But the Alter Rebbe felt that emotional arousal could be good, but emotional arousal is very temporary. It's like you go to a Kaubach minion or whatever it is, so you get emotionally aroused, but it's not a permanent type of thing, and it comes and goes. He felt that the only thing that would be a permanent connection to Hashem is a connection to Hashem that's rooted in something higher than the emotional arousal. That's Chabad. Chabad is Chachma Bina Das, connected to the top three Sviros, which are the highest manifestation of connection to God. And uh, that, in turn, would lead to a, a transformation of a person that would be more permanent. You have to know. I mean, uh, one could take an interesting course in Chabad history because Chabad is an interesting movement. Academically, it's an interesting movement because um, the Alter Rebbe faced a lot of opposition, not only from Misnagdim, like the Vilna Gaon, etc. He faced a lot of opposition from Hasidim. There were many, many, many Hasidim and Hasidic Rebbe's who were very much against, because he really was changing the rules. He was changing Hasidus in some fundamental ways. And in particular, he was bringing Kabbalah, right? Let's say even a book like Tanya. Right? So Tanya is not uh, super Kabbalistic Kabbalah. I mean, a, a person learns it. 
but you know, Tanya is based on Kabbalah and you know, etc. And people were very, very upset that the Alter Rebbe was taking Kabbalistic teachings and you know, teaching them to Hasidim. You know, he felt Kabbalah should be only a uh, only for Yechidei Skula, only for very special individual people. The Rebbe should have the Kabbalah and the Hasidim should just attach themselves to the Rebbe. So, but, that's, but that was the the Chabad. It had to be connected to the Chochmah of things, the inner essence of things, not just emotional arousal. So one has to know that the Sefer like Tanya, I mean, Baruch Shem, the Rebbe had Askamas, but, but there were many, many Hasidim that uh, were misnagged to the Tanya. They felt... Uh, the Rebbe was opening up gates to people uh, for people that should have remained closed gates. So uh, again, the history of Chabad is actually a very, very interesting history in that uh, in that way. Okay, okay. Wish you all well and have a good Pesach Sheni and a good Lag uh, Ba'imer, and uh, may we be zayicha to a true Kabbalah Satira. Okay.